If I said, I wish I had a million dollars, that would represent a desire on my part, but with no real expectation of achieving that, right? I wish I had a million dollars. Desire, but no expectation. On the other hand, if I said, I hope to make a million dollars, now notice there's a difference. One was I was wishing for it, now I'm hoping for it. I hope to make a million dollars. If I'm using that word correctly, hope, then it suggests not only do I desire it, but that I have some expectation of receiving it, of fulfilling it. Now that might be unrealistic. It might be a false hope. But hope itself is not just a desire for something, but an expectation. It may not be a reasonable expectation, but there's some expectation that it could come to pass. So there's a difference between wishing for something and hoping for something. This morning we want to talk about hope. If we were to survey all of the church-going people in Murray County this morning, I think that we would find out if we asked them, do you have hope of going to heaven in eternity? Do you hope that when judgment comes that you will have lived in such a fashion that the Lord will will accept you into eternal reward in heaven? Do you have that hope? I would think that every church-going person that you would interview this morning would say, yes, I have that hope. The problem, unfortunately, is in many instances that that may be a false hope on their part. And so this morning we want to talk about hope Remember, hope is the idea of desire with some expectation. But religiously, some people have false hope. They desire it and they expect it, but their expectation is based upon faulty thinking. And we want to consider that this morning. Some some of the basis that people use that they have false hope for eternity. Obviously, our lesson is intended in such fashion that we don't rest our eternity on such false hope, but that we base our our prospect for eternity on a true hope contained in the Word of God. We stop here for just a minute to add words of welcome to those that Lee already expressed. We're glad that you're here. We appreciate every worshiper this morning. It's a great blessing to be together. We're glad you're here to be a part of it. You are an encouragement to us. I hope you know that, that by being present, you have encouraged all the rest of us and, and built us up and urged us on and important spiritual things. Thanks for being here this morning. To our visitors who are with us today, thanks for coming. Please come again every time you have a chance to be here. And by all means, ask any questions that you have. If we can help with explaining what we're doing here, or if we can help you with Bible study in any way, please let us know. Let's talk about, unfortunately, the fact that some people have built up a false hope for eternity. And one one of the ways that some people do that is that they come to believe that there really is not even going to be a hell, that there will not be any eternal punishment. Um, the Pew Research people, they put out a lot of polls these days. I think you actually hear about Pew Research more than you do Gallup poll anymore. But the Pew, the Pew Research people put out a survey, and it's right in line with what it's been consistently over the last many years. 74% of Americans believe in heaven. So 74% believe in heaven. Interestingly, though, only 59% believe that there is a hell. So about three-fourths believe in heaven, but just a little over half believe in hell. There's a 15% disparity between those who believe in heaven 
and those who believe in hell. I, I would think that that 15% at the very least represents those who have a false hope of heaven. They don't want to believe there's any hell. They believe they want to believe they're going to heaven. More people, lots more people believe in heaven than believe in hell. But the fact of the matter is there will be eternal punishment. Don't base your hope on the idea that there's just not going to be any punishment. And at the very, you know, some people I suppose imagine that the very worst that could happen to them is that they'll be just annihilated, you know. God will just wipe you out. You won't get to go to heaven, but you're not, that's just the end and it'll be all over and there is no hell. That's not right. Jesus spoke of those who would be noticed cast into hell into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Jesus said that. I don't know, that sounds uh, pretty explicit, doesn't it? Uh, The fire will never be quenched, the worm dieth not, the fire is not quenched. How could any reasonable person read that and deny the reality of hell? Jesus is the one who taught about that. And we have to accept that there will be judgment and punishment for those who do not uh, obey the will of God in their lives. Again, Jesus again, Matthew 25, verse 46. You may remember the last part of Matthew chapter 25 there. Jesus is very plainly talking about the judgment scene and the separating of the sheep from the goats and so forth. You know that text, and it ends in verse 46. These shall go away into everlasting punishment. Some were going to everlasting punishment the righteous to life eternal. Now again, this is Jesus speaking. Everybody wants to believe in life eternal. Okay, that's good. But in the same breath, Jesus spoke about everlasting punishment. If there is life eternal, there's also everlasting punishment. It's interesting that in the original language here, the word everlasting, as translated everlasting in our English, and the word here that's translated eternal, same word. The same word describes both. However long, however real heaven is, that's how long and how real hell is as well. And so don't base your hope on the idea that, well, there's not going to be any punishment anyway, because the Bible is very plain about the fact that there will be eternal punishment for those who have not prepared to meet God in judgment. Some other people may have a false hope by imagining that just by living a good life, that will be enough. How often have you heard, uh, usually typically this is at a funeral home uh, as, as, as there's some visitation or as the funeral is about to take place of someone who's passed away. And how often have you heard someone say, well, he, he lived a good life. He lived a good life. Uh, I, I'm of the opinion that there's a lot of rewriting of history that takes place at funerals because some of those people who are described either by the preacher, because you know everybody wants a preacher. They may not have been a religious person at all, but they want a preacher to preach their funeral. And and the, the preacher speaks in glowing terms of the, de- the, the dead person. Others who are in, a, in, in the assembly at the funeral will speak glowingly of the dead person. And the reality may be that he was quite a rascal. He wasn't a very good guy at all. And there's sort of this idea, well, but he's, he was good. And maybe the impression, good enough... Uh, that he won't have to face any punishment in hell. He has hope because he lived a pretty good life. Well, again, uh, what about that? Is that real hope? Could you, could you have real hope for eternity based on that? Let's say that the guy that we were just describing, let's say that he actually did live a really good life. 
maybe the best that anybody had ever known. He lived a really good life, a very exemplary life. I want to tell you, that still would not provide him with hope for eternity on the basis of his own good life. In Romans chapter 3, verse 10, Paul said, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. In chapter 3, verse 23, Paul said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In chapter 6, and verse 23, the wages of sin is death. Put that together. Nobody can live a perfectly righteous life. All have sinned. What you get for sin is eternal death, damnation in hell. Do you see it? There is no hope for anyone based upon your flawless performance in regards to the will of God. If you've sinned just one time in your life, then that's enough to doom you to hell if you're going to be judged exclusively on the basis of your own merit. You cannot merit heaven. And the idea that's often expressed, well, he lived a good life, and so, you know, probably God will take him to heaven because he lived a good... No. He's not going to go to heaven because of his own good life. None of us are. In a passage that's often very badly misused in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Notice this last expression. The, the, I think the real meaning of this passage is there are no works of the kind that you could boast about. There are none of those works that are going to gain you eternal salvation in heaven. Notice there's no works. There's no kinds of works. There's no accumulation amount of work that you could do whereby you could stand back and boast and proudly say, look at me. Look at the good life I've lived. Look at all the good things I have done. I'm going to heaven. There are no works, the kind that you could boast about, that will get you into heaven. That's false hope. It's a false hope for anybody. I don't care how good they are. There's no hope for eternity if you think you're going to earn it just by living a good life. All of us, if we make it to heaven, are going to be there because of God's grace and mercy. By God's grace are you saved through faith. Uh, only because God was gracious to us in the sending of His Son and providing a means for our salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ will any of us make heaven. We're not going to get there just by living a good life. But there's a lot of people. And there would be a lot of people right here in our community this morning who are not religious. They don't go to church. They don't read their Bible. They don't really even think about God. But they have this idea in mind that if I just live a pretty good life, it will be enough. And our urgent message to them this morning is it's not enough. It's not good enough. It's false hope to imagine that you'll be saved eternally just by living a good life. Someone else says, well, I think I'll probably make it to heaven. Although I'm not a perfect guy for sure. Uh, 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 but I just think that God's not real concerned about the, the little kind of sins that I commit, you know. Now, there's some bad stuff going out, on out there. There's some really bad people out there, you know, but I'm not one of those bad people. I, now, I admit, I've got a, a few vices, as I might like to refer to them, you know. I lie a little bit, you know, um, and I smoke, and, and I curse sometimes, and, and uh, well, truth be known, I cheat on my taxes when I can to cut down on my, on my tax bill, you know, but those are, those are little things, you know. 
Those are really little things, and I really don't think God cares about that stuff, you know. God's not all that terribly concerned. God just doesn't care about my... Now, there's some bad sinners out there in the world. I'll, I'll readily admit that. But I just don't think that God is really concerned about the little things that I do. You get the idea? That someone would build their hope upon the idea that my flaws are not the significant flaws that would cost a person his eternal salvation. And that's a bad mistake. And anybody who would argue that way is arguing a basis of false hope. But this is not a new idea. The idea that I just expressed to you sort of tongue-in-cheek, that's not a new idea. That's been around forever. Back, way back in the book of Psalms, a thousand years before Christ was born, the psalmist wrote, he says to himself, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Uh, way back then, there was this mentality, this is so minor, insignificant, God doesn't even look this way. He's, he's not concerned. He's hit his face. He's never going to see it. In that list of sins that Damon read for us earlier from 2 Timothy 3, beginning verse 1, I'm not going to take time to read all of that again, but I just want to, rem- I want to remind you that in the New Testament, there's several places where lists of sins are mentioned. And what I think is always so interesting when those lists of sins are, there, there are some things there that we think are just absolutely horrible. For instance, this list mentions blasphemers. I'm going to tell you, we do not want to blaspheme, right? And all of us would be appalled uh, at, at the idea of blaspheming God. I don't want to be a blasphemer. That's terrible. Well, you sure go to hell if you were a blasphemer. But notice right by it is disobedient to parents. Well, that's not so bad, is it? Now, that's, that's one of those lesser sins. Surely that's not the big deal, is it? But, but what I think is so interesting, wherever you see these cataloging of sins, and several texts in the New Testament do such things, you'll find some sins that we would write as way big bad sins, and some sins that people would think, ah, that doesn't seem so serious to me. God regards them all as serious, and we need to understand that God does care. God is a God of details, uh, and he cares about sin, all sin. And we need to be striving to do our very best, not ignoring any sin in our life, but trying hard to be the people God wants us to be. Well, earlier we talked just briefly about grace. I want to suggest to you another basis, false hope, is people believe that God's grace will just cover it. Um, now, again, I want to reemphasize that, that we're believers, thankful believers in God's grace. We could not be saved without God's grace. Uh, very often we define grace as unmerited favor. God showed favor toward us. We absolutely didn't deserve it. Uh, in fact, we deserve just the opposite. But God manifested his grace toward us when we were completely undeserving. It, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. God's grace is a wonderful thing. But some people take that notion of God's undeserved favor that he has showered upon us, and then they just take off and run with it. And the very idea is that, uh, you know, because God favors us uh, when we don't deserve it, then he'll favor us continuously and unlimitedly uh, because that's just God. God is gracious, and his grace will cover whatever my sin is. And I'm not going to go to hell because God is a gracious God. Well, that's simply not so. In Romans chapter 6, verse 1, Paul dealt with that argument. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 6, verse 1, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? 
May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? The idea that Paul was dealing with there is this very idea that we hear today. Uh, don't worry about it. Uh, God's grace will cover it. And Paul's saying it's not so. God is a gracious God, but His grace won't just cover everything. And we can't just ignore sin and continue in sin because God's grace is going to cover it. That's false hope for eternity. So, you begin to get the idea, I hope, that some people, as they anticipate Judgment Day and what's beyond it, they have the idea in mind that everything's going to be okay. They've got this hope. Remember we said at the outset, hope is desire with some expectation attached to it. So they desire to be saved, and they have an expectation in their mind. They've established an expectation that they're going to achieve that eternal salvation. But their expectation is based upon faulty reasoning. And we've tried to list some of those faulty ways of thinking that people engage. Maybe deny there's a hell at all, or that just being good is good enough, or that God doesn't really care about the little things I do. He's, His grace is going to cover it all. Those are all faulty ways of reasoning. Finally, let me suggest this one more. And we hear a lot of people say this sort of thing. Well, I'm okay for eternity. I've got hope. I, I, it's going to be okay. Judgment Day is going to be okay for me because I have accepted Jesus. As I said, I think that's pretty common terminology. We hear a lot of people using that expression. I'd like for them to define what that means. You know, What exactly do you mean by I have accepted Jesus? We know that it's definitely necessary to believe in Jesus. And to accept that he is the only way to be saved, in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So it is necessary to believe in Jesus and to accept that he is the only way to salvation. That's good. But what most people mean when they talk about accepting Jesus is not that they accept Jesus as the way to God and, and, and everything that's associated with that. Most people, when they talk about accepting Jesus, just simply mean that they believe in Jesus. That they have accepted him. Sometimes they add a phrase, I have accepted Jesus as my personal Savior. Uh, what they're basically describing is a salvation they believe that they will obtain by faith only. Just believing. Believing will be enough. Salvation by faith only. So many different religious groups teach that concept and it is so plainly denied in the pages of Scripture. The most familiar place where that idea is denied is in James chapter 2. In verse 24, you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now, we should comment here about the works that James was describing. By works a man is justified. You remember just a little earlier, we said there's no works of merit that you can do to earn your salvation. We really believe that. But here James is not talking about works of merit whereby you could earn and boast of your salvation. James here is simply talking about works of obedience. We must have faith that leads us to obedience. And if our faith doesn't lead us to obedience, if our faith is not the kind that motivates us to try to do the will of God in our lives, if it's just faith only, then it's not enough to save us. Now, the works here are not works to earn salvation, but works to 
obey God, to comply with His conditions. We've often pointed out, faith only. There's faith only. Right there. Only place in the New Testament where there's faith only. And it says we're not saved by faith only. I think Jesus described some people who would have been in this camp of, I have accepted Jesus. I think he described them. And he was picturing again the judgment scene in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. You know this text well. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, notice, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. To these people, surely these are the kind of people who would say, I have accepted Jesus. Jesus said, no, I never, I never even knew you. The word iniquity here in newer translations is lawlessness. They weren't following the law. And because they weren't following the law, Jesus said, I never knew you. It's not enough to say that you have accepted Jesus, to have faith only in Jesus. It's necessary to do the will of God. False hope for eternity. You want to go to heaven when this life is over? First, maybe first question is, do you believe in heaven? I would, I would have to imagine that if we took that survey of this group this morning, the number would be way higher than the national average. National average says uh, about 74% of people believe in heaven. I want to think that if we surveyed this group this morning, we got 100% believers in heaven. But I would also hope that we also have 100% of believers who know that if we don't do the will of God, hell is real too. You want to go to heaven? Do you have hope of going to heaven when this life is over? Hope is desire with expectation. Do you have a reasonable expectation that when this life is over, you will go to heaven to be with God for eternity? That's what we want, right? In order to have that real hope, not false hope, that the kind we described this morning, but have the real hope of going to heaven when this life is over, you need to, first of all, become a Christian. Upon hearing God's truth, you need to believe it. Repent of your sins. Confess your faith in Jesus as the Son of God. Be baptized for the remission of sins. If you've not done that, then you don't have any real hope. And if you understand that simple, sometimes we refer to it as the gospel plan of salvation, if you... But more recently, we've been simply describing it as if you understand those things you must do in order to be saved, won't you do that this morning without delay? We're ready to assist you. We'd be glad to study more with you if you need that. Let us know how we can help. If you're a Christian already, but you've fallen away, you've abandoned your hope, you've not been faithful to your Lord, come back to Him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing this song.